Hey there. Hello. So I'm a dummy. Okay. Uh, wait, remember you're not. <laughs> I am in this case because... But what did you do that was dumb? <laughs> well, I slept in and I did that all weekend. Every time I sleep in, the same thing happens. One, I have really weird dreams whenever I sleep in. It's like my brain runs out of material and it's just like, I don't know. Here's something terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... It's filler episodes. <laughs> yeah, very weird stuff. And then I like wake up and inevitably my neck hurts and my head hurts. Mm, so yeah. I did that all weekend. <laughs> nice. It was pretty dumb. <laughs> uh, I'm getting into my, I, I don't know, I still, it's still a little bit toned down, but like I stayed up till maybe one thirty. Ooh. And slept till like 10.30. See, that's what I wanted to do, but I just kept sleeping. <laughs> yeah no, i just haven't gotten into my my old summer patterns were like <laughs> stay up till three you just fully cycle back around i've done that before on yep. certain, certain times just stay up to go ahead and watch the sunrise and stuff <laughs> take a sneak peek at what the early risers do oh <laughs> well what are we talking about today well today we're going to talk about education oh yeah we're going to have kind of a discussion about the education system as it is mm -hmm. and most of our experience is going to come from like the american but we'll be kind of looking at just in general under the capitalist system i suppose mm -hmm. you know why that's shitty yeah and what the communist idea would be for changing that yes what would education basically what would education look like in a communist future yeah, so you did some some theory homework, uh, which mm -hmm. I appreciated because this is some cool shit. Yeah, shout out to Marxists.org. Oh, love that for site. The sources there, and listeners, if you're on the Patreon, if you're channeling that money into mutual aid, then you can get access to these notes with the links to to where we're getting this from. Yeah, do that. All right, let's dive in. I mean, I like to start with Papa Marx. <laughs> yes, obviously. <laughs> and uh, in an address to the International Working Men's Association in 1866, he was talking about what, basically, you know, basically what would education look like? What are the socialists for in terms of education? Mm -hmm. He talks about kind of how that would be administered and this idea of combining, and this is a common theme we'll see throughout, combining like academic learning mental education he calls it and physical or bodily education and like work education too yeah i saw that so yeah the idea of a very holistic view of education where it's not just you know rote memorization it is also like encouraging movement and the technical training i mean a lot of this episode i feel like is going to remind me of the previous episode with the dispossessed yeah and if you haven't listened to that it's just the one before this and it's about a very cool sci-fi book and in their society that was definitely how education worked like if you're interested in something you just do it and also mm -hmm. kind of everyone learns various trades like you know welding or plant stuff well there's a word for that horticulture <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or agriculture, or yeah. machinery, sewing, there Art. was all these, yeah, and it's like, there were no requirements, you just kind of did what you were in interested in doing. Yeah, and I feel like that would be great, because I, I was talking about this with my friends the other day, that 
school is so limiting um, and it was very set up to be that way. Like if you were a band kid, that's all you could do. Mm -hmm. And basically like your elective periods made it so you could only have really one, maybe two electives. Yeah. And this occurs to me, I guess, because we had a similar experience in that we were very much in the advanced courses track Mm -hmm. and trying to do like GPA boosting things so Mm -hmm. that we could... Uh, you know, get into slash get scholarship money for college. Yes. Right. That's another limiting factor. You, for one, can't be involved in too many things because you won't have time to, to devote to your classes or whatever. You also have to like take the right courses. You can't take like, you wouldn't, you shouldn't take like shop or something because it's not worth as much. Yeah, definitely. And depending on how your school is funded, like I was in the art program there and it like kind of (laughs) sucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like we just knew it we just knew we weren't as important as band we knew we weren't as important mm. as you know obviously football and the reason band was important was because of football like it's just yeah. this weird hierarchy of activities and it was just very limiting for and like the theater department was super underfunded it was like just it was so weird how that played out yeah that's another thing we'll get into, like the funding structure and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, Marx's idea, basically, you know, that's what I pulled from his discussion here. He was, he had this idea of, because I, I think at the time they were doing child labor. I mean, Yeah, because you know. okay. when I read this, I was like, wait, is he for child labor? Like, what is happening? <laughs> so he said, you know, he has this, no parent and no employer ought to be allowed to use juvenile labor except when combined with education. And then that's where he says, you know. In education, we're saying mental education, bodily education in terms of exercise and technological training. And that could be almost like an, an apprenticeship kind of model. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Because like he has the kids divided up by age, like 9 to 12, mm-hmm. 13 to 15, 16 to 17. And then like within those groups, you kind of gradually have a little bit more work. Mm-hmm. But I think he's reframing the work in terms of like this is not work that we're doing like get as much as you can out of this kid for profit. Yeah. This is like work that helps the kid like develop uh, skills. And helps them decide what they're interested in too. Mm-hmm. Because that that was another very challenging part of school and still is. It's like we're telling teenagers like, hey, decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. Like that's right. not fair. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's kind of worse. Um, I don't know. This may have been around when we were in school, but now... Uh, at least in the district that uh, I'm in, they have like kind of mini majors. Uh, oh, they call wow. them like tracks and stuff or, or concentrations. Mm-hmm. And like you can, you know, do like a business concentration. You can do wow. like. Wow, in middle school? Not in middle school, in oh, high okay. school. Thank but God. like we educate them about it because I'm in eighth grade. So mm, they go so they're on. about to do that. Yeah. And they're, oh. they're like, <laughs> they're sitting in this class and they have no idea anything at all. In terms of what they're going to do, you know, really, they might have like a leaning, but. (laughs) Oh my, I can't imagine talking to like a 13 year old about like, do you want to be a business major? Right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of Marx's idea is helping to kind of blend these, uh, blend things that people think are quite separate academic learning with learning what you're going to do in the future. Yeah. And I think with that blending, there is that shifting of values kind of like we talked about, like everything will be kind of equal in terms of importance. And that'll be really good for the kids too, because like kids are good at different things. Like you have people who are emotional learners, you have people who are like kinetic learners. So like that'll Mm -hmm. be, I think it'll help them flourish because like you can be good at any one of these activities and multiple activities. (laughs) 
Yeah, and it's crazy because our you know our current system doesn't really appreciate that like no. at all. No, it's very hard for a young Gemini who was interested in everything to pick just one thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's up next? Our next reading is from Bebel. All right. In 1879, in his uh, treatise Women and Socialism. Cool. Which is cool. Yeah, we should just read that, I guess, sometime. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about the kind of ideal. What would this look like? Mm-hmm. Instead of the problems here. He's kind of building on what Marx talked about with a holistic approach. The idea of play mm-hmm. being important. And I think that's, you know, in the age of always like standardized testing and yeah. uh you have to teach this and you can't teach that and all this like there's you know the the idea of play kind of falls by the wayside and even like the hustle culture being imposed on kids earlier and earlier like you see the mm. the quote unquote feel good stories about the 13 year old who has like a part time job and works oh. really hard and it's like he shouldn't have to do that man yeah it's messed up even if it's just like, oh, I'm doing this so I can give money to a cause or what have you. Yeah. I mean, even then, it's a bit, that's like the best case. But a lot, sometimes it's like to pay for like the parents' treatment. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, it's, a, like it's one thing if they're very interested in that and like that's what they want to do. You know, sure. like, they should yeah. be allowed to do that. If that's what they're into. But it, and it's, it's just you have weird. a business kid. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we won't have business in. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they don't have to worry about it. But. Let's see what else he talks about here. Kind of the idea of like community education, like mm-hmm. childcare in general being more communal, which we've talked about. In terms of kindergarten, mm-hmm. getting again that combined uh, mental and physical work, gymnastic exercises, unrestricted motion on the playground. This is done, I think, but people kind of see recess as just like this is just kind of an extra, you know. It's the first thing to get cut, too. Yeah, but it's super important if you're cutting recess or, or or having some kids not do recess because they were bad or mm-hmm. they did badly on something and need tutoring. Is it sucks, you know? And those might be the kids who need recess to like release their extra energy too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, he goes on to to talk about children kind of gradually being initiated into the various practical activities, like you mentioned, horticulture, mm-hmm. agriculture, manufacture the techniques of the process of production. Again, kind of, the, the this sounds strange. Why are we teaching trade <laughs> or whatever? And it's only strange if you're thinking like in the capitalist terms of training for a job. Yeah, that's kind of messed up to start doing at kindergarten, but training for like something productive to do mm-hmm. that you might enjoy, not for exploitation, but just like to contribute. Yeah, I you think know? it's about exposing them to multiple options. Mm-hmm. So in a different reading that we're going to get to mm-hmm. by May Wood Simmons, mm-hmm. they talk about the idea of at a very young age, starting to teach about labor in general, including mm-hmm. like at home. And we've talked about this before too, the idea of instilling kind of the idea of the common good through labor with like yeah. chores basically. And I think this is kind of part of it, exposing them to all these different like technical career tracks being like, Hey, this is like, a good job and this was going to contribute yeah. to the society in x ways so that they don't grow up like looking down on like janitorial services or uh-huh. something yeah exactly yeah it's this is useful this does a good it's like how people say the richard scary jobs mm, you know yeah. 
jobs that you can actually see people doing <laughs> versus like this is an office worker you know it's like <laughs> you're a marketing manager yeah um not to say you know what i mean People have to work however they have to work. Yeah, no, I, mean, I get you. And there would be administrative tasks in And we'll have some propaganda to, to manage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll, have, we'll somehow have paperwork. <laughs> I'll be designing the labor app where you can sign up for different jobs and, like, put your days off in there. I'll oh, be, I'll be, be running for PCD or whatever, PDC. Yeah, you're going to be DivLab. Yeah, uh, but the app side. <laughs> You can just call the app DivLab. I probably DivLab. can't. That's a great startup name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Jumping back to this women in socialism reading. Do we miss anything? Yeah. Well, one of the things that he brought up is an attack that people were leveling at socialists at the time. And you can kind of see strains of this in the mm -hmm. modern day, too. The claim that socialists seek to turn the school into barracks and to deprive <laughs> the parents of all influence over their children. Welcome to school jail. <laughs> which that is just regular school, which we'll talk about too. Well, yeah, but you can tell, you know, there's, there's elements of this is like, Oh, they're trying to kind of take our children from us and mm -hmm. teach them critical race theory or whatever, you know, <laughs> in different parts, you know, people have different complaints, but this idea of like parents would have less control and the state would be the one, you know? Mm -hmm. And he says, well, like, I mean, there's no reason for that in the future. Parents will be able to devote themselves to their children in a measure that is quite impossible today. Because, like, they'll be working less, you know? Yeah, like we saw in The Dispossessed, where, like, Shavik just took a day to go see his daughter at school and see what yeah. she's up to. Like, that would be amazing. Yeah, they can go, they can help out, they can mm -hmm. just observe. And he also says, you know, aside from, like, directly just going like that moreover parents will control the educational system and will determine the measures and methods that are to be adopted and introduced society will be thoroughly democratic there'll be boards of education consisting of parents men and women anyone we would say and of the educators yeah because i mean like how many people like know who their school board people are i have no fucking clue <laughs> yeah uh, and pe people you know they don't realize they're really kind of shut out like they, they can go to school board meetings and stuff and they mm -hmm. can kind of complain but like they're not really in control and no one goes to vote for the school board elections unless they happen to align with another election it's just you know it's part of the bourgeois democracy thing is like it's alienating and it doesn't seem like it, it's not an accessible thing. yeah even to the extent that it is accessible that you could go vote yeah no one sees a reason to yeah um, and and it's also because education is so tied up with like the general city's budget and funding methods which are just like super opaque and confusing and fucked mm -hmm. up yeah yeah half things go into the police anyway uh, <laughs> so whatever you're left to fight for whatever scraps there there are left honestly yeah one thing this kind of reminds me of and i think some of the other readings reminded me of this too is kind of mm -hmm. the pandemic learning Mm. Granted, this is for like wealthy white people who could afford to like stay home or like hire an au pair or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I was reading, I read a lot of parenting columns and like teacher columns, and they were talking about how a lot of people formed their pandemic pods for the purpose of education. And it was yeah. these really small groups of children, like, you know, like four kids or something. And they would have to figure out how to homeschool them. And a lot of times that kind of curriculum ended up being more applicable because it's just like, we're at home, like, all right, let's do math by baking or, you know, hmm, whatever yeah. it is, like more holistic learning instead of more abstract. Yeah, because of the setting, sort of. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's like you're kind of limited. I mean, I guess you could just be like, here's a math workbook, but. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
That's interesting. Uh, yeah, like you said, very limited. Yeah, not a lot of people got to do that. Opportunity, yeah. <laughs> but if everyone could, you know, if you if you had that, if your kid's school was just your neighborhood, you know? Yeah. And they could just go outside and fucking like, let's document the plants in the neighborhood or whatever. And it would, yeah, it's more mm, relatable to mm-hmm. in that way. It's not, you would face fewer questions of, uh, when are we ever going to use this? You know? <laughs> Why am I learning this calculus? <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of the smaller size that's one thing bebel mentioned here (laughs) it starts out weird he says you know the training of the rising generation should be provided for in the same way as the training of the soldiers is provided for in the german army yeah that first sentence made me like back up from my laptop a little like oh okay (laughs) i don't know i don't yeah i don't 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 super want that what year is this uh oh 1879 i mean okay yeah, it's still a you know still problematic <laughs> but um he met he clears it up and says here one officer has charge of from eight to ten men so basically just saying smaller class sizes yeah you know yeah. student to teacher ratio should be small i would love to have a class of eight to ten kids that'd mm. be wonderful can you imagine and the very next reading i think we already referenced this one the maywood simmons reading mm-hmm Education and socialism. Yeah. So they're talking about problems that exist in 1901. And it's like, geez, has anything changed? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because they're talking about overcrowding and how it basically serves capitalism. It's underfunded and like all these issues where you're just like, yeah, I mean, check, check, check. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh huh. And they're they're saying, you know, uh, the teachers, they like can't really customize anything they can't really learn about these kids because there's so many of them mm-hmm. i mean in, even you don't have to get up to 40 or 50 i mean like if you've got a class pushing 30 it's hard yeah yeah to, like everyone's working at a different level yeah honestly a lot of times what you end up doing is you kind of teach to the middle yeah that's all you can do just like hope the ones behind catch up and hope the other ones don't get too bored mm-hmm. yeah and and that's just because of overcrowding you know not enough teachers not enough they also talk about underfunding and stuff and again yeah this is 1901 but we can totally see this today still yeah one of the things in this reading that i like is it brings up this idea of one of the goals of education being freedom yeah this also reminded me of the dispossessed too for sure this you know idea of responsibility to each other being freedom education being you know tied with this idea of freedom too, the freedom for each one to develop their own methods of thought and their own initiative Mm -hmm. to express in material form, their inner being. So I think maybe to drive this point home, we could maybe back up a smidge and talk about, I think we've, we've mentioned this before on the show is that how school is basically how you make more workers for capitalism. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's social reproduction. Yeah, it's like, we need somewhere to put these fucking kids so that their parents can work. And also, we want these kids to eventually work. <laughs> it's Yeah, and this is, again, funded by society, pretty much. Funded publicly mm-hmm. in some way or another. It's not like the businesses are really paying for it directly. But it's like free employee training, kind of, for them. Yeah, definitely. And we, you know, <laughs> we already talked about how boxed in it makes these students. It really just kind of hammers them out into a shape that can slot into their factories or wherever. And you don't have to think about this nefariously, like they're mm-hmm. twirling their mustaches. <laughs> how can we get more workers or anything? But it's how the system ends up working in practice is it's very much geared for college readiness, which mm-hmm. itself is 
people are there to go on to careers yeah for the most part and it's also geared for career readiness i mean these are literal things like literal objectives of school districts to follow is college and career readiness so yeah and like i don't think those are necessarily a problem because like we were just talking about like yeah we should be teaching technical training to kids but it's done with a motive for profit instead of like what they're interested in like Mm mm-hmm like we were discouraged from taking those kinds of like technical courses. Like there's a whole different building in our high school that was like the technical training center, whatever it was. And like, we all knew like none of the like AP kids were going there. (laughs) It Uh was like a weird segregation thing. It was, it was physically separate from there. Yeah. The career and technology building or something like that. Under capitalism, that's what schools are going to be geared toward. Mm -hmm. Cause that's what society is about is making sure that, people make a profit making sure that there are workers to make the profit from all that under socialism under communism we're moving to how could just just serving people and still providing labor but it's for the community and not for profit and it's like how can you best help the community i mean helping yourself is helping the community it's no longer about like how can i fit myself into some weird slot to make somebody money Mm -hmm. instead like part of Doing good work to like improve the community is doing work that you like because yes. you're a part of the community. If you're like feeling shitty, you know, that's not great. I mean, sometimes you're going to have to like go into the labor brigades or something, but like that's also service, I guess. But it's not like we want you to be toiling away at something you hate. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. Because if you're enjoying what you're doing, you're, you're going to be better at it probably. So, yeah, I liked this quote. Education under socialist conditions would produce men and women, not machines. Yeah, we're looking to make people who like Mm -hmm. learn for the sake of learning and also for the sake of helping other people. Yes, human beings were not, yeah, not machines, not cogs in a machine or however you want to put it. Yeah, not working for profit again. Oh, I like this quote too. This is from John Dewey and it says, education should be a process for living and not a preparation for future living. I love that because as someone who has spent a lot of time with a four, now five-year-old, that Mm -hmm. is how they live their life. It's just like (laughs) completely in the moment and they're going to ask questions every fucking minute of the day. And it's like kind of fascinating to watch that happen up close and just like see this kid like learning as like a really organic process. Like whatever you're doing, he'll ask questions about it and you're just like, Mm -hmm. what is coffee? And you're like, all right, let me explain coffee. Like, it's it's like playing the alien game where you like it's like he's from another yeah. planet and doesn't know what things are. Yeah. No, that's that's great. There should be this more natural process I guess to learning because in this in the author here goes on to kind of talk about school as being kind of alienated from real experience. Mm-hmm. It's a whole separate environment. It's a whole big chunk of your day. It is like, it's like a different world. Yeah. You turn, you turn into school mode, you go to do the school thing and then you go yeah. out to real life. You know, they're, they're saying it should be, those should be more unified. Kind of that holistic thing we were talking about before. Did you hear Jeff Bezos's quote the other, from the other day? No. <laughs> he dislikes the term work-life balance and wants Amazon's workers to be more like a circle. And I'm like, did you just watch Sorry to Bother You and like not get the point? And you're like, I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. They're, that class of people is just diseased. It's so fucked up. Literally, like he's going to start offering Amazon homes within the next five years. I'm calling sure, it. Sure, yeah. 
He's like, well, yeah, why can't we just live here? Yeah, it's going to be like Alexa powered homes, like everything in there is from Amazon. Like all your fucking shitty appliances are from Amazon. All your clothes are Amazon. It's going to be it. That's what's going to happen. That's wild. I'm going to call it now. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's how it'll be like on Mars if we go with. Oh, fuck. uh, What's his face? Elon Musk. Yeah. Ugh. Maybe we can get jobs, though, in the company radio system. there. And yeah, just start some propaganda. Anyway. Yeah. Moving on to education. (laughs) yeah back Uh, to education though i like this point that he brings up too that basically even mutual aid is curtailed in school because if you're trying to help someone you'll get in trouble for it like it's cheating dude i actually it was uh yesterday uh that i i told abby i gotta get onto my students less for copying (laughs) or cheating she's like why because we had gone to aldi right Uh uh-huh and we got in a cart and you do the like the quarter in the cart thing. Yeah. I had never operated one of those. So I didn't know when I, when I go to put it back, I'm like trying to get the quarter out, trying to link it up, but I couldn't figure out the linking mechanism. So I couldn't do it. And so like someone came up and pushed their cart in and I just kind of watched them, them and, and followed I it. mean, that's how you learn things is by yeah. watching other people do it. And mm-hmm. like, especially now, like. I don't understand whether there hasn't been like this huge fucking seismic shift in education. Maybe there has, and I just like, I'm not in it enough. Mm-hmm. But like, you can fucking look things up. Yes. <laughs> like, we don't need to waste time learning like base facts, like very basic stuff. Like, yeah, you should probably know like math and like some grammar or whatever. But like, right. so much of it is just like now at your fingertips or like someone else knows how to do it. Like, I don't waste my time with that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, the thing is, if you don't bother with knowing those facts, though, you can't pass the test at the end of the uh, <laughs> at the year. And then it looks like your students are all dumb and then they get rid of you. And that's the thing. And I've talked about this in the workplace setting. Metrics has taken over our lives in this really terrifying way. Yeah. And it's, it's I think 90 percent of a job is proving that you're working. Like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> it is. There's so many just PowerPoint decks out there. Like, look how much more of efficient we are or whatever. And you're just like, how long did you spend on this? <laughs> I mean, that's a, one of the big premises of bullshit jobs uh, by David Graeber is the idea that most of the time we're just like check checking boxes. And mm-hmm. most of people's job is either making sure that people know they're working or checking on other people to make sure that they're working. It's horrifying. And then I think that's a lot of what school is, too. It's like, okay, you do your homework. Good job. Like, we're done here. Yeah. Another point that Maywood Simmons brought up was about the importance of uh, unity in things taught. And I thought this was really interesting. Oh, uh, I liked this, too. They talk about our old system has made each department of science an entirely new and foreign subject to the beginner. Geology and geography, for example, right? Few have been trained to see that geography is the study of the present conditions of the earth and represent a certain stage in a long series of stages. The geology is the study of these different stages and the changes in the earth's surface that have resulted in its present physical appearance. So the idea that these two Mm -hmm. subjects, while taught completely differently, like in different rooms, different curriculum, are in fact have, you know, so much in common, like there should be more of an interdisciplinary approach to that. In this example, you're teaching, like, here's the Pyrenees Mountains. These mountains were created, you know, however long ago, whenever these place, 
fucked up or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's exactly how they would say yeah, it. Yeah, you, you, you obviously don't know about them. Or maybe you're right. I actually don't know either. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know mountains are from plates bashing into each other. I'm pretty sure. Some geologist is listening to this just like, oh my God. Just tearing their hair out. I'm so sorry. Uh, okay, but this is just straight up dialectics, right? Yeah. The idea of uh, everything being a process, right? Yeah. And like everything having like a cause and effect kind of thing or like mm-hmm. having not necessarily an opposite, but having a relation to something. Right. A, you know, either a unity of opposites or at least, yeah, a, a, everything being interrelated with everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know, maybe this is oversimplifying it, but I think you can kind of see that in like, if you think about people who are like kind of really brilliant, they're often interested in multiple things and find ways mm-hmm. to connect those things. Like, you know, classic Leonardo da Vinci, like he used his studies in like optics and physics to further his art and like yeah. used his art to draw schematics for his inventions. And like you realize, and on a much smaller craft level, like I've done that too. Like when I start sculpting, I'm like, oh, I now understand 3D forms better and I get better at drawing and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about making those connections. And it's kind of like going back to what you're saying about learning facts versus learning kind of what to do with them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's honestly the more important skill is making connections between all these different things. Yeah, yeah. So our next one uh, by Eden and Cedar Paul in 1918. They were writing about this kind of utopian education project that existed at the time called mm-hmm. the New School. And they were kind of outlining it, its approach as kind of like, you know, anti-capitalist, focused on democracy, solidarity, freedom, and equality versus like obedience to authority. Yeah, I read through these basically tenets and they were really good. Yeah. A straight fire. Let's see. What are some good highlights? For one, it's a boarding school. I thought so that was really interesting. <laughs> you, have to, you, have, you have to go live there for... A period of time. Yeah, and they want it to be like out in the country. Yeah, yeah, that too. And I think that they note here, you know, it's kind of optional. Like you could do it in the city. You could make it like a day school if you needed to. Mm-hmm. But this is how the new school does it, I guess. Perfectly, it would be in the country and as a boarding school. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about boarding schools. I get okay. why they exist. One, they're great for fiction because it's like, we don't have to worry about riding around adults now. <laughs> yeah, take out the adults. <laughs> Kyle is like all about boarding school. He's like, I would do great at a boarding school. Like, I, I want our kids to go to one or something. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. I just, I'm a big weenie. And I think the family we grew up in was very tight knit. So I'd be like, I would be missing my kids all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless yeah. they suck or something, but stuff. <laughs> <laughs> They're going back and listening to this podcast in the future. Like, wait, I'm at a boarding school. (laughs) (laughs) Do I suck? (laughs) I thought this was weird that they had them in separate houses, but like as with a couple, like watching over them or something like a a family. I thought that was super strange. Mini families. To me, this whole idea of kind of mini families makes it like, well, why don't you just leave them in their neighborhoods then? Like, and just do it by neighborhood. (laughs) Well, see, I think that's one of the reasons they made that notation of like, yeah, you could just do this locally. That's fine. (laughs) I guess, yeah. But this is how they do it. Uh, There's co-education. That's good. Yeah, obviously. Manual work, several hours daily. Mm -hmm. Again, focusing on education, focusing on not like training you, this is what you're going to do, or let's make some money off these kids. But, like, training them to, like, learn about themselves, I guess. Yeah, and they mention, like, it's a lot about 
the idea of collective labor. So saying yeah. like, hey, like we all got to fucking do this. <laughs> Work together. Mm-hmm. Cooperation. They, they, you know, some more working opportunities. You know, you're free to choose what you want to dabble in that day. Hell yeah. I would love that. So I don't think I did enough dabbling when I was a kid. I still dabble yeah. in so many things, I guess. I'm like, oh. Uh, yeah, I'm a dabbler now because I have the freedom to. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that's great to be able to do, though, as part of the educational process. They talk about exercise here, camping and excursions. I thought that's that would be cute. Fun. I'd be, I would not enjoy that part. Maybe I would if I grew up with it. But. Sure, that's the thing, yeah. <laughs> the aim is to secure a general culture of the judgment rather than an accumulation of memorized facts. Hey, they know what I like. <laughs> oh, I liked this one. Yeah. It's based on a child's personal activities, i.e. knowledge is not poured into them as water is poured into a jug. Mm, that's yes. great. Just like, what are you into? I'm not here to tell you what you need to know, you know? It's a conversation. Uh, this reminds me of uh, the work of Paulo Freire. Probably pronounced that wrong, but he wrote a book called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Mm-hmm. A Brazilian author. And he talks about getting away from the banking model of education. Mm, okay. Uh, which is where the students are seen as empty vessels, you know, mm. piggy banks that yeah. you could, that you pour knowledge into. And they just passively receive it. They don't take any sort of active role in their learning. The teacher is very much the master and the all-knowing and the one who should not be questioned because they know everything and the students don't. Very authoritarian. Yeah. And he says, that's bullshit. You know, we should have a more cooperative learning model. Wow. I need to start reading this book. I'm not going to lie. I bought it for the pod and fell asleep on the first page. So I'm going to try again. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know it was about education. So yeah. Yeah. So the only punishments take the form of endeavors to make the child understand how it has aired and how it may do better in the future. That is so good. And honestly, like in my limited childcare experience, I find that to be much more effective. Like kids are way smarter than we give them credit for. And mm-hmm. they're learning how to be empathetic. They're just like little selfish monsters and they don't understand that. And you have to take time to teach them like, hey, this hurt my feelings when you did that. Please don't do that. Yeah. And that's effective, you think? I think so. Yeah. I mean, granted, the kid I hang out with is like five years old. So he probably understands more than like a two-year-old would. And I don't know mm-hmm. what the hell you do with a two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not in uh, early childhood education, so... <laughs> But yeah, no, that's a good approach, I think, the the idea of getting away from punitive and, and getting more to the real purpose of education, raising a human. You know? Yeah, definitely. Overall, these tenets are all fire. So look up this reading if you want to read more of them. The Independent Working Class Education by Eden and Cedar Paul. Next. Oh, I like this book title. The ABCs of Communism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by uh, Bukharin, Nikolai Bukharin and... Probozhensky. Teach me that communism. And this is written in Soviet Russia. Oh, okay. In 1920. Uh, they, you know, it starts out with an enunciation of capitalism, of course. Classic. <laughs> I did like one point they brought up here that resonated yes. with me. It's talking about how it tries to create a controlled population. Mm-hmm. And they say they're trying to raise the generation to have devotion and respect for the capitalist regime. Mm, School is like super fashy. I don't know if anyone else has realized that, but it's like, let's say the pledge every day. And like, it's 
you know, the increased presence of police in schools, um, just the total authoritarian kind of style of teaching and discipline. That's just like, cause I fucking said so, you know? Yeah. And there's the kind of the hierarchy that's visible. It's the teachers, the assistant principals, the principal. Maybe Uh, this is why teens are so angsty. Like I get it. Teens. It sucks that people tell you what to do. They exist in a fascist regime for eight hours of their day. That's why they want to rebel. Good job. Teens. (laughs) I would tell you it gets better, but you have like a career to go to and you'll have a different tyrant to serve there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you get a chill one. Yeah. Or one that doesn't pay attention much. <laughs> um, but I mean, there's other elements too, like kind of the, and these are, these could be good, like school spirit and stuff like that could be Ugh. good if it like served, you know, if it, if you were in a commune, you'd want to have like a sense of community pride and things like that. But another element of this kind of like, and it's innocent. It's in, it's in, it has an innocent kind of wrapping, but like school spirit in terms of like, oh, we're going to beat the other team, the enemy. So mm-hmm. you have like a pep rally. Those are kind of. They're a little fashy. Yeah. A little messed up. <laughs> I think school spirit is, is training for fascism for sure. <laughs> I don't understand it. Yeah. Nationalism for sure. Next, Buchanan gets into the contradiction or maybe the conflict between parents and society. I thought this was interesting. This very much got into the dispossessed thing mm-hmm. by talking about the expression, my daughter or my son yeah. or my child, the idea that there is parental ownership of a child in terms of their education. And I think you see that today with people like pulling their kids out of school if they're going to teach race theory or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Which no one does, but still. No, no one does that. <laughs> he says here... You know, they give expression to the parents' view that they have a right to educate their own children. From the socialist outlook, no such right exists. The individual human being does not belong to himself, but to society, to the human race. The individual can only live and thrive owing to the existence of society. The child, therefore, belongs to the society in which it lives. Oh, that's interesting. What do we think? My initial reaction was like a little bit, just because I got those anarchist leanings, but I'm like, no, if I think about it in an anarchist lens too, like there is still that idea of like solidarity and mutual aid and like there is a great dependence on having a functioning society. Mm -hmm. So I think it kind of works. I I think it's that, I don't know, I still think if you really want to fucking homeschool your kid, then you can, but I think you're doing that with the knowledge that you're losing out on some of the benefits too. Yeah, I mean, the counter-argument may be, uh, should we let kids be, you know, deprived of that on the decision of their parents? I know, parental rights are super strange to Mm -hmm. me because, like, the state ultimately has to decide, like, what is acceptable, what is abuse even, especially, like, in the trans community. Like, misgendering someone is not qualified as abuse, even though, like, that is definitely emotionally damaging to somebody. Mm-hmm. And can lead to, you know, suicide. But, like, that in most places, that is not enough to, like, you know, call CPS on somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's just really when you have a, you know, capitalist state, they're going to impose their values on it. And so I'm hoping that in this society, we would all say, like, well, education is an important enough value that we think everyone should have it, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And you wouldn't be allowed to homeschool? I would think so. Yeah, like you're saying, if we have these universal values that everyone's entitled to, you shouldn't be able to deprive anyone of that just because they're too young to fight back. I think maybe it's 
kind of going to get to that social pressure thing of like, if you don't do it, like you're a fucking weirdo. And like, everyone's like, well, your kid doesn't believe in evolution. So like, we're not going to be friends with like dispossessed (laughs) style. Like, I think maybe if we're going anarchist with it, Mm -hmm. it's just like, well, those are the weird people who don't believe in evolution. We don't really talk to them. (laughs) Yeah. They're, they're the strange people who built their own house out in the countryside or something. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Maybe so. It's like, yeah, you have the right to do that, but you also have to like live the consequences of it. This is more from a, a communist perspective where you don't have the right to do that because it's still state run. Yeah, but Karen is operating in, a, in a, you know, st- state socialism essentially at the time. Yeah. And, and saying like society may entrust the education of children to the parents, but it may refuse to do anything of the kind. <laughs> uh, like, basically nope. saying they might not be like good at it. You know, plenty of people are good at producing children without being good at teaching children. <laughs> Honestly, um, yeah. And a lot of people are not good at producing good kids. <laughs> I, I like this last part that I brought out here. Uh, it must be the task of the Communist Party, and especially and especially the women's section, whatever. <laughs> at the time, that was important. Yeah, I just... It, what about the, men, the men's section could do this, too? It isn't... Anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. To induce parents to strive for the improvement of social education, not by holding aloof from it, so not by pulling out... Mm-hmm. Homeschool. Oh, that's, you know, the public school is not good enough for my kid or whatever. Yeah. But by sending their children to the appropriate institutions and exercising the widest possible control over them through parents' organizations. So I like, get involved, basically, instead of retreating from it. Yeah, that's that is so, like we said, very hard to do in the current system. Yeah. And the in the new system, we're like, yeah, you got like four hours of work and then you can go to the fucking school board meeting and raise hell if you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's who has the time to do that in a capital thing. And further more from that, like what effect would that really have? You know, you're Nothing. not, you're not actually in control of. Yeah. In our you can go system. to the PTA meeting, but like you have to get everyone on board and really make a stink or something. And like, even then good luck. Yeah. Even then you're dealing with a capitalist state that mm-hmm. has its own interests. They're not yours. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, shifting gears a little bit. I want to talk mm. a little bit about what the anarchists had to say um, about education. I love those guys. This is a little less detailed, but uh, that's from a variety of sources here. Max Sterner is one of them. Okay. We've mentioned him before. He's the guy with the doodle drawing. That, oh, I love that guy. And he's, you know, criticized capitalist education, said, you know, kind of that banking model thing. It's only concerned with the, with the student as an object, whereas we want education to be uh, toward subjective self-realization and liberation. Cool. Mikhail Bakunin and Peter Kropotkin, uh, they argued for universal education back, you know, obviously back then only the rich were getting it and they were Jesus. like, this should just be a human right, you know, <laughs> yeah. a general education, a blending of disciplines as we've kind of talked about, uh, kind of in- introducing labor. They were mm-hmm. on board with that too. Cool. Emma Goldman. We've talked about Emma Goldman before on the show. Love her. Friend of the show. Yeah. She was very much in agreement with your description of the kind of prison-like authoritarian-like nature of schools. Mm-hmm. The school of today, no matter whether public, private, or parochial, is for the child what the prison is for the convict and the barracks for the soldier, a place where everything is being used to break the will of the child and then to pound, knead, and shape it into being utterly foreign to itself. Yeah, and she talks about the idea of resisting questions and how like often adults are just like yeah whatever Mm -hmm. like i don't want to answer all your questions when it's like that's an amazing thing that kids just naturally question things and that should be encouraged instead it's like please stop being annoying like (laughs) 
I get it. You know, it's, it is annoying after the it's, hundredth It somewhat makes sense, though, because, like, in a freer society, like we said, we have the, the, those extra hours of our day. Mm-hmm. And not just the extra time, but we also have, like, the, the lessened burden. Because even the time that we are spending working, we're working, like, for ourselves. We're not working to buy a yacht mm-hmm. for somebody else. We're doing something that needs to be done for ourselves and our neighbors. Like something you said, I guess that psychological burden is kind of lifted to where you're like, you are productive and good and doing a good thing instead of, you know, an evil thing that you can't help but do so that you can survive. And if you're doing like community education, like there's going to be a higher, a better ratio of teachers to students. So like they'll have more opportunity to ask these questions to different people, Mm -hmm. multiple people. They can ask their shop teacher. They can ask whoever they come in contact with. Yes. Yeah. That's a key to more teachers. It won't all just be on like the homeroom teacher and like the parent to (laughs) to deal with this kid because kids are so much work. (laughs) They really are. That's cannot be emphasized enough. Uh, What else is emma goldman say she talks about sex education oh i love that so basically saying educators also know the evil and sinister results of ignorance in sex matters yet they have neither understanding nor humanity enough to break down the wall which puritanism has built around sex Oof, girl yes i thought that would be in your <laughs> wheelhouse there with the puritanism thing absolutely <laughs> and she basically is like if we talk about sex it'll kind of neutralize like how like much on a pedestal we put sex and how horny people are i guess basically <laughs> yeah it'll reduce horniness <laughs> <laughs> she says it would neutralize the oversex condition of both genders and would help women's emancipation much more than all the laws upon the statute books and her right to vote mm. yeah yep. it's a cultural problem like yeah <laughs> so that could very well help according to Emigo. i think we agree sex education very important and very under uh, <laughs> underserved. Uh, people don't fucking do that in school. No, there's none of it. And it's so bad. It's a huge part of the human condition. Like if you're really actually trying to train people to like be fully human, they need to know that. Yeah, you can't just ignore that. Like, yeah. Let's get to some examples. Like, has anyone has anyone figured it out? Uh, well, in the anarchist branch, since we were just talking about them, there was a guy mm-hmm. named Francisco Ferrer. So I heard about this guy in my research for the public arts project. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So William Gropper or Groper, Mm -hmm. he was the guy who made that damn painting. That damn painting. That damn painting. (laughs) That painting of a construction of a dam. Okay, yeah. And he actually went to one of these centers uh, that we're about to talk about, a Ferrer Center. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So uh, Francisco Ferrer, he was an anarchist from Barcelona. It was there that he founded La Escuela Moderna. Ooh, very modern. And yeah, the modern school (laughs) providing a secular as opposed to, you know, because the church ran a lot of schools there. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. A secular anarchist education uh, had no punishments, no Mm. rewards, no grades, no exams. It emphasized practical experience over book learning. So again, that kind of blended academic, but also practical Love that. Uh, experience there. Students visited local factories and museums and stuff. They planned their own kind of assignments and work and, and projects and things. And the attendance was just kind of like voluntary. Whoa, okay. Show up when you want, <laughs> you know. And they showed up. I mean, it's like uh, when Shevek says, you know, what, you're just going to murder me because it's not illegal? <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that's the thing. If if your school is much more engaging, like I would show up to go on these like tours and like to go to a cool school where there's you're not going to get punished if you didn't do something like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that sounds way chill. There's probably also a social element to it, too. Like if we translate this out to, you know, the anarcho-communist or just plain communist utopia, whatever. Right. All your friends are going there. All your friends are going there. You're going to look like kind of an asshole if you don't, right? If you just say, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going sure. to school, you're going to be a weirdo. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's the weirdo who doesn't know math. <laughs> <laughs> right? What else did they do? They were taught solidarity, a love of freedom, human dignity, hmm. social justice, how bad capitalism is, how bad the nice. military and the government were. Ugh. This was La Escuela Moderna. Ugh, I'm going to get a time machine. No, I'm never, never going to a time machine unless it's going forward. That's a good idea because it wasn't around for long. The, oh, fuck. <laughs> the state shut down the school in 1906. Wow. Because the Spanish king, someone tried to assassinate him. Okay. And they were like, oh, it's probably those anarchists, you know. <laughs> they just blamed him for okay. being involved. Cool. Just the scapegoat of the world, honestly, is anarchism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anytime something goes wrong, they're like, it's got to be those damned anarchists. <laughs> Three years later, Ferrer himself was arrested and falsely accused of orchestrating an insurrection in Barcelona. Bummer. And so they, I mean, they put him up on those charges and, and just kind of did a show trial. Like they already mm. knew he, they were going to convict him and they executed him. Ugh. And so his, he's kind of a, you know, kind of an anarchist martyr. His school model spread throughout Europe and the U.S. and in South America too. And in the U.S. that's where you were talking about the Ferrer mm-hmm. Center that they set up. That's so cool. Ugh, I wish those were still around. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, there are kind of like free school movements and stuff like that. Like there are some mm-hmm. weird kind of <laughs> projects in this vein yeah. out there. Uh, they're not very accessible, I don't think. But This is not the same thing, but I know... <laughs> sorry, I'm going to talk about my nephew a lot in this episode. I love him. Uh-huh. Um, he's looking at a school or his parents are looking at a school that's like on a farm and so like half Ooh. the day is school and then half the day is like working on a farm Dope. that's <laughs> awesome. right that's so cute uh all right let's transition then to some other examples uh Yay. for these examples uh we're going to use state socialism all okay right, so a existing you know previously existing actual socialist projects cool. and pro- socialist states uh so one the soviet union what do they do they got like really good at literacy, right? They did. Yeah, we covered that in one of our previous episodes about what life was like in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. That was the the Likbez literacy campaign. Okay. Uh, that was like the liquidation of illiteracy, I think is Ooh, one of those okay. Soviet shortenings where they take the first of each oh, word. They love that. They love a portmanteau. <laughs> yeah. And they, you know, that was crazy in terms of literacy rates. They go from in the czarist times, you had 37.9% and 12.5% of males and females, respectively, mm-hmm. in terms of literacy rates. That's how Not many people great. could read. And by 1939, they had 90% and 72% men and women. Holy shit. By 1950, they had universal literacy. Wow. That's crazy. So, I mean, it's a gradual process. You know, I mean, they were going oh, yeah, through the Civil yeah. War and everything. It didn't happen overnight. They had other stuff to do. Yeah. And, and then they have, I mean, the World War, they have a ton of shit happening. Mm-hmm. So they managed to do that through a huge campaign. I mean, and I think, I don't know, the literacy campaigns of communist states, I think, is important to bring out because... I mean, that's a huge part of being able to do any sort of education, right? I think further than that, education is a part of how you can do 
actual democracy and a, a working people's government. Yes. Yeah. Unless you're going to physically go to every single meeting, you know, you have mm-hmm. to be able to read somebody's stances and be able to read like what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what did they do to actually, you know, make that big change? They did literacy quotas for different sections of society. And we want this many for the peasantry, this many from trade unions and so on, like setting goals, you know. Okay. And they built reading rooms in villages across the country. They would have what they called red readers, which were local people, you know, somebody locally who could read, Mm -hmm. who would go there and kind of like lead these discussions about the news, about party publications and propaganda and stuff. It's like the guy in Fiddler on the Roof. There's like one guy in the village who can read, so he reads the newspaper to everybody. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, They got youth organizations. You had the Young Communist League Mm, and the Young Pioneers, and they went out to, you know, recruit people. Nice. And recruit people to help teach people how to read or direct people to the lessons and stuff. They used posters, cartoons, poems, stories, whatever they could. It was... Uh, on all fronts sort of thing. <laughs> and yeah, we talked about this in, I think, our like Russian constructivist episode, too, mm. was the idea of using art to really simplify reading and just to be like, here, you understand what this poster says, right? Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. That's reading. <laughs> yep. There's another thing they did. They sent out the red train, which I thought was kind of cool. It's okay. Uh, they it would go tour these kind of remote towns and villages throughout the Soviet Union distributing like pamphlets and books and stuff cool and also sharing films so like they would have film crews and stuff like make a little you know just kind of document what life was like there when they stopped and then they would like trade these films to other play and like show them in different places and be like this is what life is like here sort of thing that's so cute because it's such a huge country Mm -hmm. and they probably like didn't have access to that before that's awesome yeah uh, what else? They nationalized libraries. Delicious. All right. Uh, that was really early on, 1918. Nice. And Lenin is, <laughs> Lenin was obsessed with libraries. I found this interesting. <laughs> he wrote this thing in like 1913. Mm-hmm. Before he's in peace, just, you know, elsewhere. I don't know where he is physically in 1913. Just in exile somewhere. Just chilling. But he wrote this thing, this sarcastic piece. And he was like, it's just simply barbaric out here, folks. Like... Uh, I'm in, you know, I was reading about this, that the other Western countries, you know, Russia, smart place, they don't do this. But in these other terrible countries, like they let just like the common rabble, the riffraff, like check out books from their library and stuff (laughs) and read. And it's horrible. Like anyone can read books in their library. Oh my gosh, I love it. pulls out all these stats like of the book circulation and stuff. And he's just like, isn't this horrible? Like, thank goodness we keep our libraries walled off. (laughs) He wrote an Onion article. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. And then later when he's in charge, he's like bothering the uh, People's Commissar for Education and Mm -hmm. saying like, Hey, what are we doing with the libraries? Like, we need to make sure the libraries are like pushing books out to people. Like, we need to get circulation up, make sure people using the libraries. Like, we don't even have any data on this. Like, come on, like our 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 numbers are not good. We need to pump them up. Like he's he's like micromanaging to try to get the libraries going. That's so cool. (laughs) We've talked about it before on the show. Libraries are super important. Yes. Uh and it's just interesting that he was so he was so So uh, geeky about it. Yeah. That's cute. So one big thing was separation of church and state, right? Yeah. The church had a big leading role in 
education in Tsarist times, mm-hmm. what few people were getting educated, they, you know, did away with that. Like the, the yeah. church was out. The curriculum based on church and Latin has been swept away. Co-education has been introduced. Nice. I mean, you see that today, too. Like the most prestigious high schools are probably parochial schools still. Like the very fancy preparatory schools or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nice public ones, too, but, like, those are, like, the Harvard tracks, you know? Yeah, the ones going to the Ivy Leagues mm-hmm. and all that. Okay, so overall, like, we touched on this just now, how, how the overall system was structured. It was guaranteed, you know, a constitutional right to everyone. Nice. From primary through university. Wow, through university. Love that. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, universal we said it was co-ed. It's compulsory for 10 years. Okay. So you had 10 years compulsory, and then you would either go to like vocational school or university. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you didn't have to, I guess. We mentioned the People's Commissary for Education. That was who ran it. It was initially under Anatoly Lunacharsky and okay. his deputy, Nadezhda Krupskaya, Lenin's wife. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I know that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Lenin's wife was the deputy. People's cool. Commissary for Education. And she had been involved in education before the revolution and everything. So Yeah. Nice. Um, it wasn't just here's something to do. You know, <laughs> yeah. experience. It wasn't just some nepotism. Yeah. An interesting thing I found was in university students, mm-hmm. they would kind of do something out of the dispossessed. They uh, formed student construction brigades. That's very dispossessed. Love that. And they would like, you know, on their holidays and stuff, they would go and do like these building projects. That's so cool. I don't know. I guess overall their structure, that was that was the main thing, mm-hmm. uh, was it's universally provided and all the way through university, like the whole thing. Yeah. And including childcare, which we've talked about before. Yeah. Yeah. Childcare also covered, I guess it was really cheap, uh, really mm-hmm. affordable. We mentioned that. So that was another big deal too. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's huge because it like prepares kids to go to school. We don't want to say with any of these examples that they're 100% perfect. You know, yeah, they were no, doing what they could, it. but these are some things we can, I guess, learn from, you know? Yeah. And we can clearly see there was a big upwards trajectory towards literacy, which is not to be metrics focused, but a very important benchmark, obviously. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Another example that we have also talked about on the show is Cuba. Yeah. Their literacy brigades. Yes. Yeah. These guys really went all out in terms of their literacy campaign in 1961, their year of education. Nice year. They tra- They used the teachers to train up literacy brigades to go and teach people to read. And I mean, in one year they go for, you know, they already had kind of a high 77% overall literacy, but that's like way lower in like the countryside and shit. Yeah. Yeah. They go to 96%. Nice. In a year. In, in a Jesus. year. Yeah. They build literacy centers all over the country. They teach more than 700,000 adults how to read and write. Jeez. And it's very like grassroots, you know, it's very Mm -hmm. volunteer. Tons of uh, women participate in that as well. Nice. Uh, Some other things to pull from Cuba, though, they, in terms of education, spend about twice the amount of money on education compared to other Latin American governments, around 10% of their gross national product. I want to see our little budget breakdown. Oh, man. At the federal level, it's going to be a pittance. All right. Found it. If you want a comparison point, the United States GDP, we spend approximately 6.2% of it on education. Ah. This was from 2019. So, so yeah. Not uh, great. Not that much. 
I was kind of skimming the stats on this, uh, so I'm not sure quite the year and everything, uh, but had a student-teacher ratio of 12 to 1. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. Uh, half the Latin American average. Uh, they had scores well above the regional average in language and math skills. Keep in mind, they are doing all of this. They're also providing education programs for former sex workers, for women working in domestic labor or maids or cleaning or whatever. They're providing free daycare and housing. Oh, wow. All that they're doing while under, you know, the destructive U.S. trade embargo. Yep. Yep. So they're doing all this with, you know, half the resources. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They have a mandatory free education through ninth grade. And then you have, again, either vocational or three-year college prep. And again, everything's free. University's free. It's it's tough to get in, I guess, admissions, Mm -hmm. you know, but. Yeah. And then, like, you see the result of that. Like, they made their own fucking vaccine. So, like, it's going okay over there. (laughs) Although I did see a headline that called it homemade as if they're, like, I don't know, in a kitchen or something. Yeah, it's like bathtub wine or something. (laughs) I made you some prohibition vaccines. <laughs> right. Uh, well, they'll do anything to delegitimize their project, I think. It's insane. Talking about the experience maybe on the teaching end. Mm, yeah. Uh, what's that like? For teachers in Cuba, moral, ethical, and civic conduct are seen as important, as important as academic achievement. Mm. Teachers kind of, with that low ratio, uh, they're able to kind of like figure out what's what's going on with the kids. Like... If they are coming in late, you know, or hungry or what do they need? You know, they're, they're exactly, kind of more yeah. in tune. Uh, every school has a school council uh, made up of teachers and parents in the school and other professionals in social and health kind of areas to figure out, you know, what do we need here? How can we run things better? That sort of thing. And that's great. Because like most schools now don't even have a school nurse. Or like yeah. a school counselor. Which is crazy, yeah. It's insane. Where do you get your nasty pads from? The big diaper ones. <laughs> <laughs> Teacher training and professional development. I thought this was interesting. It's ongoing. They have two days of in-service training a month and weekly on-site activities. And teacher evaluation is also different there too. It's a collective process involving peer review and emphasizing development rather than documenting things that could lead to dismissal. So it's like, we're trying mm-hmm. to help you and like, we, we don't want you to go. We don't want you to leave. Yeah, we want to get yeah. someone else. We want to like help you be a better teacher, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. Cause like the way we treat teachers here is uh, really bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's very dependent, I guess, on where you yeah, are. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, it's real easy if you're in a bad situation for administrators to make sure that you're not coming back, you know? Yeah. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, very cool. I love that. A uh, final example, and I just want to include this because of how it turns out, uh, okay. is Mongolia. All right. Didn't see that one coming. Yeah. So Mongolia was a socialist state from 1924 to 1992. I did not know that. Yeah. It's, I guess, you know, one of the lesser known kind of Soviet satellite republics. Uh, it was called the Mongolian People's Republic. Okay. You know, I mean, starting out, had a lot of struggles in education. Similar yep. story to the Soviet Union itself. But like worse in terms of education, uh, but even by 1934, 55% of even party members who were kind Oof. of better off, you know, yeah. uh, were illiterate. Uh, and only 15% of kids from 8 to 17, like ages, uh, were in school. Oh, wow. That's not great. Yeah. Uh, so the party starts building tons of state schools and 
by 1968, they had achieved universal literacy. Holy shit. So like 34 years just did it. And boom. Yeah. Dang. That's like a generation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's, I think that's slower than Cuba did it, right? But still an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. It was very expensive mm-hmm. for the government. Uh, but they built modern schools and dormitories in every district so that every child, even in real remote areas out on the step, you know, mm-hmm. could go to school. They had some wow. of the lowest student-teacher ratios in the world. Uh, and then came the collapse of the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc countries and and all that. Dang it. They, the end of the People's Republic, they transitioned to capitalism. Oh, man. And they closed a ton of schools. Okay. They cut teachers' pay. Uh, enrollment plummeted, dropout soared by 2,300%. Uh, between That's between 1989 and 1993. So, like, it's clear Jesus. what happened, you know? Yeah, yeah. Their education system has since, like, recovered, you know, somewhat. But, I mean, now it's, it's again, a capitalist education system, so it's more unequal. Yeah. It's got all those problems again. Yeah. Ugh, that sucks. Yeah. Weird how we never hear about this stuff, huh? (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. Super weird. (laughs) All right. So some examples. We've talked about kind of the theory underlying it. Some of it. There's a lot more. There are a lot more examples and a lot more theory that we didn't get into. Yeah. Yeah. This is an overview. Yeah. All right. Fun time. Fun time. What would we do if we were in charge of the whole thing? If we, I guess, do we want to zoom out and say, okay, what if we were in communist utopia mm-hmm. what would education look like i think so yeah all right let's do it i mean i think we can definitely take inspiration from a lot of these readings and examples so like obviously it's free and it's universal and you know all the way through college and you know graduate school however long you want to keep learning like you should keep learning yeah yeah and or you go back to learn like as an adult or definitely or even not even just in universities, but like adult education of any sort. Like that should just yeah, be you should there. always be able to go back and be like, you know what? I'm tired of whatever it is I'm doing. I'm going to try something else. Yeah. I think another point that was brought up several times that I liked was uh, the idea of the community being in control of the educational system. I definitely think that's important. I think throughout this, we saw people try to do it in different ways. Like, okay, we'll just create a whole new community that's just about education. I lean more towards like the local model of like wherever you live, that is your school districts, I think would be much smaller and much Mm -hmm. more locally controlled. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's interesting because you run into the question of like, okay, but do we want people to decide also like what the standards would be at a local level or would we want more like uniformity? Or how would that work, you know? That's a good question. I think it depends what model you're in. If you're like in a socialist model, you probably have more of a standard like mm. curriculum. Yeah. If you're full anarchy, it's like, well, what the fuck does our commune need right now, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, and if you think about in anarchism, you would kind of have, to the extent that you have like coordination with places, it's like voluntary and stuff. So you might like, as part of your federation's, of have the various a, communes have like an agreement on what your education. Yeah. I think that would make sense because you'd want everyone to like learn the same language for in- instance. So like you can continue working with other communes. So I think that would be important to have some sort of standard. Yeah. And if you're doing trade or if you're using products and machinery and whatever technology from different places, you want people to, 
be educated about them. I don't know. Like you want, yeah, you want to use the same like standard of measurement or whatever. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> or like, yeah. yeah, if you get a work a placement somewhere else, you want to be able to slot into whatever it is they're doing over there. Yeah, and I, I guess I don't. It's not so big a deal. It's not like people are going to be like, no, we don't want to learn here. We want to be the dumb commune, like. <laughs> We're the smooth brain commune. Yeah. No, yeah. People people are going to want their kids to be able to grow as people, you know, and yeah, contribute. And I think, yeah, I think with the rest of these tenets that we're probably going to be discussing, like they're all are focused on, yeah, like a, a growth-based mindset instead of like a an inhibitive mindset. Yeah. So I think everyone's going to be down for that. I, I can't imagine... I don't know. Maybe there's some sticklers out there that's like, we need more math. But like, chill out, man. You can teach your kid more math if you want to teach your kid more math. Yeah. And if your kid wants to learn more math, too, I think that's a big uh, part of it is kind of... It's not limiting. Yeah. And it's, well, it's less hierarchical, too, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not just about, and it's really not even centered on what does the parent want for their kid as much as... What does the kid want? Yeah. What does a kid, you know, because they should have agency, too. Yeah, talking sure. teens out there as always. <laughs> <laughs> Love our teens. We have a lot of teens. So, so yeah, I think that's that's important. Uh, for me, I think you need twice as many teachers. At maybe least. more. I think more. <laughs> I would say three times at least. Because <laughs> you got to get those. I mean, you got to get ratios down. You got if you know whatever, whatever the system's going to look like overall, it needs to be. Uh, more closely focused on, like, I was reading, for example, in, I think it was in East Germany, and I forget what grade level it was, but part of, like, their feedback for their students, like, as, like, report mm-hmm. card stuff, was a teacher essay, where the teacher would, like, be like, here's, like, strengths and weaknesses of your kid, and, like, they would yeah. write a letter to you about your kid base. I'm like, I could never, I would have 130 <laughs> letters to write. It would be a form <laughs> letter. Yeah, no, it'd be horrible. Yeah. And and that's the thing, like you're talking about the ones where they're really checking on how the student is doing at home and things like that. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't have the opportunity for that in the current system. There's no, you can barely build a relationship with these kids. You're just like trying to pump them full of information. So both of you survive. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So tons more teachers. The question arises, where do we get them? Where can we find all these teachers? Are they growing them on trees? What's up? Well, good news. People are going to want to be teachers because, like, you're going to be taken care of. So, mm-hmm. like, you don't have to worry about making money. So, it's fine. Yeah. So, you're not like, oh, but I have to, I'm going to get paid like shit. Yeah. Or I'm not going to have enough for retirement or whatever. I think there's a section of people that would like to be teachers, but, like, don't, it doesn't get paid enough, right? Or, or they get burnt out because the system is so fucked up. You hear about that all the time. Yeah. And it's, it's not really well treated. I mean, no, like societally or financially. Yeah. Yeah. And here it would be actually a, you know, it's a useful profession. Yeah. I think it'd be a very respected job as, I mean, we want all jobs to be respected, but still. Well, sure. But some jobs just aren't going to exist anymore. Like the insurance agent has to figure out something else to do. You know. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I'm thinking, if this is a much more holistic education, I think people in the community would just swing by and teach whatever it is they know how to do. Like Mm. I would definitely be teaching classes like in the art center or whatever. Yeah. Maybe that's part of your manual work rotation. It's like, all right, every, you know, every decade I'm going down (laughs) to the school and I'm teaching them whatever it is that I do. You have career day like every week. Man. So this would be more of an emphasis then in education on teaching pretty much all students how to teach. 
Ooh, yeah, because that's not everyone can do that, you know, right. like that. Not everyone's good at that. <laughs> and so give people like the basics of that. And and it's obviously it's a choice. Like if you're working, you know, if you're very introverted or very mm-hmm. yeah. scared of, you know, you just don't like you don't you don't think that would be for you. Whatever. Don't do it. You know? Yeah, that's fine. But like I personally love teaching when I get to do it and mm-hmm. I haven't gotten to do it like very much. But like I love leading workshops and um, like doing like ally training stuff for work and like it's something I enjoy doing so like if I had that opportunity I would definitely take it yeah so I think that's something we got to include is within education exposing students to the kind of the basics of how to teach and, and allowing them to kind of pursue that if they want and even that could be part of like the age groups instead of having like strict grades mm. I'm sure there's going to be lots of cross-pollination of like I don't know, older kids, do you want to teach the younger kids how to read? Like, go for it. Yes, for sure. That's awesome. As far as getting those armies of extra teachers, <laughs> I figure one good idea would be to take current teachers and convert them to, like, teacher educators, you know, like... Mm-hmm. How to be a teacher. Yeah. Because, again, you're going to need to take, like, the former bankers and stuff and, like... <laughs> get you know get them jobs as something else oh how big is those are those industries i just oh just gone just just gone <laughs> the health insurance just uh, i love how everyone views it as like a gotcha and i'm just like oh no i'm waiting for that to happen i cannot wait <laughs> yeah you just want yeah there's just gonna be no all the health insurance people are gonna lose their jobs yep cool <laughs> is anyone out there really fucking passionate like anyone has a huge boner for being a health insurance agent and let me tell you if you do you're like well i'm providing a service i'm helping people make sure they get medical care guess what we've got a like sparkling new healthcare yeah. industry to you put get you to in. be a health administrator yeah. in the new health department yeah. congratulations so it's not like i'm like opposed to each individual in in there i want them to be <laughs> all right but like as an industry that should just be gone and they should get to have another cool job. Yeah. Paraprofessionals. All right. So teachers aides. Yes. Anybody, really any of the staff working in the school, we need tons more of them, more special ed teachers, resource teachers, all these guys. Yeah, for sure. School psychologists. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Nurses, custodians, everything. Yeah. And especially with paraprofessionals uh, with like the teachers aides and stuff, they don't get paid Mm -hmm. shit. Like they get yeah. paid terribly. It's like an internship or something. Well, yeah, it's like, uh, it's, I don't know, worse than, I don't know their pay rate exactly, but it's crappy. It's, it's like, shit. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know, because I think with these sorts of positions, the not teacher, but in a school positions, mm-hmm. a lot of people do want to work with children, but don't want to be like the center, like the, you know, they're just not interested in that. And that's, yeah. I think this would be a good opportunity, a good way to get people to serve the community's education needs you know, in the way that they're comfortable with without necessarily being the teacher themselves, you know? Yeah. And like, if you have this big expansion of education, like you have a lot more, like we were talking about a lot more electives, except they wouldn't be electives. They would just be like a lot more things to do. You could be the recess person and you just like are supervising kids during recess, you know, you could, you know, like I said, be one of the professionals that come in just to work with the kids for Uh, a day. Yeah. Uh huh. It could help supervise various sports or music, art. All kinds of stuff. If Or we're talking early child care. Like, that would be way better funded. And so, mm-hmm. like, if you're more interested in that side of things, you could definitely do that. Yeah, and that could be integrated, too. So it doesn't have to be, you know, it can be kind of attached to schools or 
and he would also want schools and stuff to be very local, like you said. Mm-hmm. So those, you know, daycare centers and stuff would also be very local. And they could even be within the same kind of complex to kind of share some of that support of like the nurses and everything. Yeah, um, for sure. I just want a big ass community center with all this shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like Shevik had whenever they're like, oh, yeah, there's an orchestra practicing in the same room that we're doing our like teaching like our learning circle, basically. Yeah. Like, that would be cool if you could just be like, yeah, I'm going to go pop over and see what the musicians are doing today. Mm-hmm. We just, I mean, we want an Animal Crossing island. I mean, I we want just, an Animal Crossing. We just want to hang. <laughs> we just want to chill with some good vibes. <laughs> We're going to abolish the Nook Brothers, though. <laughs> sorry, we can't have a store. Uh, I just get to take okay. everything in there. But we can't have money. That's true. I was thinking about that. So in the transition, you know, obviously teachers anyone working in education okay anyone working in education like on the front lines of it should be Mm -hmm. paid more anyone Mm -hmm. working in administration i'm gonna be honest they get paid kind of a lot so they do they do they don't really need to be paid anymore but then once you (laughs) move on from the transition and you're in the commune when you're in Mm -hmm. the you know the workers state and then just anarcho-communist heaven when everything's good yes uh, you don't need to worry i mean like you know there's no compensation or anything like that you're just working for your community yeah, sounds great. Now I'll zoom in, though. Okay. Kind of talk big picture, right? Zooming in, what is a classroom? How does that look any different? I think it's going to vary day to day. I think some days it's like, all right, we're going on a field trip to wherever, you know? Like, ah, I think it's yeah. going to be much more fluid and flexible. Um, you know, like I said, you have different people coming in. I mean, it could be almost like freestyle learning center. Like, all right, we're all in here. Go wherever you want to go. Mm, okay, so each classroom is maybe like, I'm teaching math over here at this time. Show up if you want. Mm-hmm, could be. Or like, I'm teaching whatever. I mean, that's how it seemed to be on the dispossessed. But if you wanted to, you could still keep like kind of cohorts of like 10 kids or whatever and just like take them to different places. If they're not into it that day, like whatever, just have them read a book or something while everyone else is interested in it. <laughs> that's interesting because, yeah, we're talking about kind of less hierarchy. Mm-hmm. More kind of democracy or self-agency. I mean, I was thinking, like, because there are so many different things we want to expose them to, it's not like we're going to have, like, 27, like, class periods or something, you know, like, okay, sure. now we do math, now we do reading, now we do this. It's like, oh, today's farm day. Go out in the fields and, like, see if you like it. If you don't, not a big deal. Yeah, so you're definitely saying they're not doing the same thing every day. They're varying it up a lot. Yeah, I don't think so. That would yeah. make sense. I mean, you would still, okay, because I'm thinking, though, maybe I'm being kind of a, oh, wouldn't they just murder each other sort of thing. It's like, well, what's the, like, the, I don't know, within maybe with to an extent, because, like, you do want to make sure everybody does learn math, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe there's, like, half the day is like, okay, we got to learn, like, some math and some reading, like, some basic stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, like, just part of the day. Yeah, so maybe, like, half the day is, or a quarter, you know, a period in the day, maybe. Yeah, even. a couple hours to learn some basics, and then you go out to whatever cool activity you have for the day. But then what if you don't want to? So if we're going full Mm. anarchist here and we Mm. are saying that these are humans with rights to decide for themselves to an extent, I mean, where's that extent? Is it you can walk out the classroom because you're bored? I mean, I guess technically, because I mean, there's no punishments (laughs) and I don't know. It's that thing of, I think it would just have to be the social pressure thing again, because it's like the commune has decided that these are the basics that everyone should know. And if you refuse to learn them, it's like, well, people are probably going to make fun of you or something. But like, I don't think we can do anything about it. Yeah. So kind of a, I mean, almost, I guess a peer pressure sort of thing. 
Yeah, and I think too, I think if we have more of that holistic view, though, we can much more easily tie some of these basics to what they are interested in and be like, hey, remember the other day in music mm. class when you really fucking liked it? You're going to have to learn math for that, kiddo. Sit down. Yeah, that's a good point. Another thing, we'll be teaching them, you know, as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. Also be teaching them about like themselves, just emotional learning and stuff. Yeah. And so you're going to have some days where like you really don't feel like doing anything and we can, you know, kids can more effectively learn how to like handle that, whether they really do need yeah. to leave and they're like, Hey, sorry, I, you know, I can't do this today or they can get through it or what or cope or whatever. Yeah. So you can teach them the difference between like, yeah, sometimes you have to do shit you don't like to do. Like, Remember when your dad had to go dig up a pipe? Like, that wasn't his favorite activity, but he had to do that for the community. Like, you can kind of... (laughs) A lot of dealing with kids is learning how to negotiate. Just be like, hey, will you do this thing for me? That would be great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Another thing I think we would see in these classrooms is a lot less competition. Mm, And a lot more cooperation. Yeah, for sure. That'd be great. Which is great for me because competition's dumb. I don't like competition. Me either. Um, I mean, it's just a friendly sort of thing. That's fine. But like, yeah, yeah. Kids are teaching each other stuff like, okay, cool. You know, great. Obviously we said no rewards or punishment sort of thing. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. grades can also just, I mean, you do want like a way to assess kids in some way, students, right? Yeah. I think it's going to be more of like, Hey, your kid's really interested in, you know, farming or whatever. Like maybe you should take them more farms on their or your day off or something, you know, just mm. really more like letting the parent know. And I'm, I'm assuming the parents would be more involved anyway, but just like letting them know, like, here's what your kid's into. And like, here's what they're good at. Here's what they're not so good at. So like, if they're working on this and they get frustrated, like, here's why. <laughs> yeah. But it's less, I guess it's overall, again, maybe it's just less high stakes. Like you're not saying you better do this or you will fail, you know? Yeah. I think it's more of a, maybe not filtering is the right word, but it's more of like an informative process of just like, here's where they're at. Here's what they're into. Here's where they're not into. Here's what they're good at. Here's where they're not good at. And like kids will kind of self sort into what they're interested in and what they want to pursue. And when you take off the pressure of like, you have to be good at, you know, math and science so you can, you know, go make a lot of money or whatever it is, then I think you'll have a wider variety of interests. And when also, when you have a less sexist society, like, you know, you'll have more girls in STEM, about half, like Shevik said. <laughs> yeah. That is swiftly becoming another touchstone of our podcast. I know, I love that book so much. <laughs> uh, it's like open veins for us, you know. It is, yeah. I'm going to set that up as like a gift set to convert everyone. I'm just going to give everyone in my life a copy of Open Veins and the Dispossessed, <laughs> tie it up in a bow and be like, this is your starter kit. Welcome. Come talk to me after you read this and we'll stay up all night and yell. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Uh, but I like what you said about, you know, uh, you don't have to, you don't have to make a bunch of money now. And, and mm-hmm. I guess what you're pursuing, you said there's going to be a wider variety of interests. I agree. Cause like whatever you're pursuing, you're pursuing and a variety of things, but like whatever you choose to be, maybe your main thing for now that you want to, that you're interested in is just mm-hmm. because you're interested in it, not because of some external thing. Like, yeah, and the freedom to know that that can change because mm-hmm. so many people feel trapped in their careers because like, well, I fucking have this resume that I got to maintain and yeah. like, I got to maintain the retirement fund. And you can mm-hmm. just be like, you know what? No, I'm done with this. I'm going to go learn something else. Yeah, no, that would be fantastic. Is And I think people will just feel better. Maybe that's utopian to think, but like, maybe it's so. not. Mark's talked about 
moving on past humanity's kind of childhood of having to struggle for a living and everything to being able to actualize ourselves. So maybe it's not utopian, but like, I think people are going to be way better off, like psychologically, holistically in this system where they can just like freely become themselves. So you're not going to see as much of like the kind of kids. I mean, kids are going to act out, but like, Mm -hmm. it's not going to, I don't know. They're not going to be rebelling against this sort of a system as much. It's not as high pressure. And I, I think adults will definitely benefit from this too. I think the narrative of everyone has one thing they're really good at and interested in and are going to like, slave away at all their days i just think is not true like i think people are interested in multiple things and that should be celebrated and not like tamped down at an early age for sure this is a beautiful society we've built (laughs) can we go there now i'd love to go there now (laughs) not to the current earth which is like on fire or whatever Ugh. i guess the ocean but still i think we covered it all right that's that's what education would look like under communism Obviously, we, we t- in the examples, maybe we kind of covered what that might what that transitionary period might look like, whether it's in the anarchist sort of mm-hmm. sense or in the state socialism sort of sense. We lean uh, anarcho pretty heavily. I, I read a review recently that was like Marxist Leninists don't listen to this unless you want to get an aneurysm, and like that's probably accurate. <laughs> pretty anarcho. Yeah, I, yeah, I still like the Marxist Leninists, but I I like him. I. Pfft. I'm just pure bisexual, man. I'm like, if that's how it happens, great. If the other way, great. I'm up for everything. <laughs> that's fair. It's not that useful to the left to worry too much about labels in terms of getting shit done first. I mean, we're all just going to die of capitalism if we don't yeah. fix it. So we need to <laughs> we need to work together. If <laughs> However the fuck it happens, I'm fucking down. Yeah. Since we talked a lot about education and teens, I wanted to give a quick shout out to a listener. Oh. We have a listener in Sweden named Lily, and she's like 13 years old and Mm -hmm. is very into our podcast. And her mom emailed us to tell us how much she likes it and just, yeah, saying thanks, basically. Awesome. Great. Yeah. So shout out to Lily. Thanks for listening. Yeah, for sure. Keep up the fight over there in Sweden. Yeah. It's good to hear praise. Yeah, I love it. Alongside criticism. Yeah, sure. (laughs) All right, what are we doing next week? Uh, Next week, we are watching a movie. Hell yeah, what are we watching? We're going to watch an important documentary. uh, I believe it was made in like the 70s. Oh, okay. Called Harlan County, USA. All right, I've been seeing this on my HBO account and being like, I want to watch this, but I got to save it for the pod, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was made in 1976. Yeah, it's uh, it documents a labor strike and kind of the, the labor history of you know, Harlan County in Kentucky. All right, great. I just mentioned you can watch it on HBO. Apparently, you can just watch it on YouTube. So, yeah, go do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, in the meantime, you can find us online. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism, or you can send us an email, teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places, you can send us questions for future episodes, suggestions for topics, uh, just straight up compliments. I will always shoot those directly into my veins. Yeah. And feedback, like if we're not being Marxist Leninist enough. (laughs) That's fine. I get it. (laughs) No, we've actually, we've gotten some really like good critical feedback at times. So like, for sure, do it. If you want to do that publicly, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate and review. Really Mm -hmm. helps people find the show. And I love it. Yes. Validation. Please. 
we are on YouTube, if that's your preferred listening method, or if you know someone who that's that's their jam. Mm-hmm. And we have a Patreon for $5 a month. You get access to all of our notes, including the backlog. And so this week you'll get our theory, well, the theory that Grady looked up and I made comments on. That's an important part of the work. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you'll get access to that and the backlog. And at the end of the year, all the money from that goes to a local mutual aid fund. Thanks for being a an awesome uh, comrade in learning. Yeah, cooperative learning. We don't do hierarchies here. (laughs) Uh, And (laughs) listeners, thanks for tuning in. You guys can catch us next week on another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all. Goodbye. Goodbye.